This is About Space, America's Return to Space, with news and information on our U.S. space program. Is your host of About Space, David Denault. Welcome and thanks for joining me today. The date is April the 2nd, 1968. References have been made to Yeats, Hawthorne, Sophocles, Descartes, Goethe, Schopenhauer, Melville, Hemingway, and others. Its beauty moved Charlie Chaplin to tears. The Saturday Review called it an extraordinary masterpiece that challenges some of the assumptions which have dominated serious writing for a hundred years. It has been called the motion picture of the decade. It may turn out to be the film of the century. Stanley Kubrick's 2001, A Space Odyssey. Today I'm going to share a personal story, my meeting Arthur C. Clarke, the writer of the film of the century. Well, during one of the Apollo launches, I had the opportunity to meet the famed writer after the movie had premiered, and I asked him what did he envision the film's ending to be like. Well, he took a puff on his pipe, smiled, and asked me, um... Just use your imagination, my young friend, with a warm handshake. But many never knew of Arthur C. Clarke's fascination with UFOs. Here is Arthur C. Clarke in his own words. I think I can claim to be a reluctant expert on UFOs. I've been interested in them for almost 50 years, long before the phrase flying saucers was invented. UFOs are very common. If you've never seen one, you're either unobservant or you live in a cloudy area. I've seen half a dozen good ones, and now I have some very definite opinions on the subject. It was Kenneth Arnold from Boise in Idaho who ushered in the era of the flying saucer. On June the 24th, 1947, he took off from this airfield at Chehalis in Washington State and headed for the high Cascade Mountains. A member of the Idaho Search and Rescue Organization, his intention was to look for a crashed military aircraft. But as he scoured the slopes of Mount Rainier, something happened to change his life and trigger off a worldwide obsession that endures to this day. At this point is when I uh, would say approximately is where I had this terrific flash hit the air. My aircraft lit up the inside of my aircraft and uh, I, I assumed, of course, at the time, in a, in a split second, that it was probably a P-51 fighter that had dove over my nose and that it was the sun's reflecting upon his bright wing surfaces that caused it. However, before I gathered my wits together, I looked way off here to the north, and that's when I saw where the flash came from. It was a, an echelon formation of a very peculiar-looking aircraft, and uh, they were rapidly approaching Mount Rainier, and it was at about this point when I got here I could see their their uh, tail surfaces, or the rear end of them, and, and the, second, uh, the second craft from the rear had a more or less crescent shape, 
look, and it had a hole in the center of it. And, of course, I kept mulling in my mind, that's the damnedest-looking airplane I ever saw. Arnold timed the craft as they sped between two mountain peaks almost 50 miles apart. I looked at my uh, sweep second hand on my 24-hour clock, and they had covered this distance of approximately 50 miles in a minute and 42 seconds. It was placing their speed at uh, approximately uh, 1,700 miles an hour, 1,781 it came out at, at that distance, uh, which was, of course, unheard of in 1947. He abandoned his search and landed. Later, he was besieged by reporters, and one of them asked him how the objects flew. I says, well, I tell you, they flew like, erratically like a, like a saucer would if, it, if you skipped it across the water. And, of course, then, all of a sudden, uh, the term flying disc and, and this type of thing, or crescent-shaped or whatnot, was completely dropped, and everybody started seeing flying saucers. And they've been seeing them ever since. And photographing them, too. And he even sought out eyewitnesses out in the British countryside. One such encounter happened to Mrs. Jessie Rustenberg, then living in this Staffordshire farmhouse. It was on a, an October day, the 21st of October in 1954. I was in the back kitchen of the house preparing myself, just having washed, and I heard this noise. Now, it was just like a, a giant cauldron of water being poured onto a red-hot fire, but if you can imagine, a thousand times louder. And my first reaction was the children. I must get out, there's a plane crashing. So I slipped on my jumper, I, run out, I ran out through the side entrance of the house towards the front garden to look for them coming across the fields. And to my amazement, there suspended on the top of the roof of this old farm was this object that I can only describe as a huge Mexican hat. It was that shape without the bubbles. It must have been 15 to 20 yards from where I stood. It covered the roof, so in circumference it must have been about 60 feet. It was, it was enormous. The people in the spacecraft were just looking out. I could see them from the waist to the top of their heads. They were very beautiful people. They had long golden hair, like the old kings used to wear, turned under. They had a very vivid blue, like ski top affair on. And they just looked at us. Their eyes, the expression in their eyes, were full of compassion. And then, all of a sudden, I felt the tension leaving me and I felt movement and I turned round to touch my children and when I looked again, it was gone. Now, we stood there and I said to the boys, did you see what I seen? Yes, mummy, yes. I said, well, wh where is it? It's gone. And we looked and my second son said, there it is, mum. And we watched it in the sky, just like a cotton reel, circle round the farm three times and then it just shot straight up and away. And the observation of these unidentified aerial phenomena has not changed. After extensive endeavor to explain it, uh, neither the Air Force nor the National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena could come up with any ordinary explanation. I don't know what it was, but it was tubular and bright, 
and small objects came and departed at high speed. We have motion picture films, magnetometer recordings, sound recordings, and uh, a whole variety of data that begin to make us think that UFOs are technological, that they're really not something natural after all, but, but something not only technological, but highly sophisticated and capable of speeds and accelerations far beyond anything that we've ever dreamed of. In fact, we've really been surprised at how fast these things can move that we've, we've tracked. And frankly, I would say that they, they simply don't originate on the Earth, at least any place on the Earth that I know of. If the Soviet Union has that kind of technology, uh, so uh, God help the free world. And if the free world has it, um, God help the Soviets. Personally, I'm convinced that there must be many, many higher civilizations in this enormous and incredibly ancient universe of ours. And since we are preparing to go out into space ourselves, other older races may have been doing this for millions of years. So it's quite reasonable to think that they may have come here in the remote past, perhaps many times, as indeed suggested in 2001. So we should look for evidence of such visits, physical evidence in the form, for example, of fossilized transistor radios or their equivalent. But the question is, are they still coming now? Well, at this moment, we have radar networks, American, Russian, and doubtless others, plotting, tracking everything in space. Anything as big as a pencil in orbit around the Earth can be tracked by these radars. Is it conceivable that we've been having visitors over the last decades trying to sneak up on us, landing in obscure places, being seen by a few people, and not by these enormous tracking networks? I feel that when there really is a visitation from space, it'll be something spectacular, rather like the climax of the movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We'll be certain of it in about five minutes. You may wonder, what should you do if you do meet a visitor from space? Well, be very polite and be prepared for a long journey. Arthur C. Clarke died on March the 19th, 2008, at age 90. And his study and fascination of UFOs should not have surprised me after all. A 2001 space odyssey is about to come true with the Artemis missions to the moon and beyond. Check out our Facebook page, About Space Today, for launches and landings, and invite your family and friends to listen weekly. And be sure to join Don Meyer, our Space Coast news editor, this Friday for America in Space. And to all our listeners around the globe and here in the U.S., thanks for joining me today. I'm David Denault, and this has been About Space Today. <laughs>